if I would introduce Garland, <laughs> I said it tickled me to death. I, I remember when Garland came into the program. I, I hadn't been sober that long, but I, I remember it well. My first sponsor and I went on a 12-step call to visit his wife, uh, who was in the hospital for the disease of alcoholism. And uh, the first, when she got out, while well, we took her to her to the first meeting, and we went downstairs to the basement where most alcoholics meet in the basement. I don't know why. And 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 girl went upstairs with Jim to the Illinois meeting. And and as Jim tells it, as I remember it, and of course stuff gets confused after a few years. I remember Jim saying he said about halfway through the meeting he said, "I don't belong up here. I belong down there with her." Jim told him he'd just have to wait till the next week to go down there with her. He's going to sit through that meeting. And, you know, Garland came and stayed. And I thought that was so wonderful, how, how great it was that, that he came and never had to go back out again. Uh, I do remember one thing he told me, and then I'm going to let him talk. He said, uh, that Jane broke over. He said, she says, I just love AA. He said, I thought, it takes damn little to make her happy. <laughs> now I want you to give Garland a warm welcome, because I sure love him. Thank you. I'll move on over here unless you have that one. Jean always gets to put the shuck on me. <laughs> she enjoys it. That's all right. Like I said, I had to go get me some water. He drank it all last night. I kind of feel inadequate up here following that last night because he said it all. And I think I'll just qualify and let y'all ask me questions because there's <laughs> nothing else to say. Uh, my name's Garland. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, Gene told you about it right, I guess. Uh, I'd like to thank... No, I'm not going to thank them. Everybody says I'm going to thank the committee. Well, I don't know what committee asked you, but I'm not going to thank them when it asked me. They didn't ask me to come. They told me to do it since you come and you get up there and talk. And then I got over that because I figured I wouldn't be up here at all unless somebody had told me a lot of stuff that I had to do to be here. And for that, I'm grateful today. Um, I never know exactly what to say. I kind of work a limb step on it. I ask God to tell me, give me knowledge of what he wants me to say and give me the power to carry it out. Because I never know who needs to hear what from me. And if I tailor it, it might be the wrong thing. So I just let it roll whatever happens. Uh, I got sober in Huntington. And my sobriety date is uh, very near the same as yours, sir. September 26th. Only you four years ahead of me. September 26th. 1977, I believe you September 25, you said. And that makes us brothers, I think. Anyway, I'm glad to, to, uh, have been sober and enjoy 
life these last almost 20 years. It's a lot different. I can't imagine the life it used to be. It's uh, so many so many things I have to be grateful for, and things still keep getting better. A man came to me not long ago, he and his wife driving through from California, and he'd been sober, they'd been sober 31 years together. And he said that, he said, it keeps on getting better. And that I believe. I was <clears throat> born in Lynchburg, Virginia. Not that it matters where I was born, but it was, like everybody else born somewhere. And uh, I was thinking this morning, I was born a liar. Now, well, you think that's funny? That's the truth. That's the truth. That's why people always tell me to tell the truth. But see, everybody in AA is a liar, and they can't tell whether I'm lying or not, so it doesn't bother me to talk in AA. Little boy was bad to lie. And his mother had embarrassed her. He wouldn't tell the truth if it wasn't in him. So she talked to the minister, and the minister said, well, she said, I'll talk to him sometime. So he came over one day, and a little boy was playing. And he said, come on here and sit down, and let's have a little talk. So he said, you know something, John? He said, last Sunday, said, I was up there preaching, and said, a big bear came in and walked right down to the pulpit and said it was a little dog chasing him, biting at his heels. And uh, he says, do you believe that story? And the kid says, hell yes, I believe it. He said, that was my dog. <laughs> so, some of that's far-fetched, you know. I, I don't like to, to tell drunk logs. Everybody in here mostly except the Alanons, and I want to say hi, Alanons, because Gene was right. That's where I started. I didn't stay long, but I've been back. Uh, like my old friend down in Kentucky used to say, when I first started drinking, it was for pleasure. And then it became a habit. And then it became a necessity. And then when I got here, it all changed. I came here out of necessity. And it got to be a habit. And now it's a pleasure. I love to go to AA. Uh, I, I changed Gene. <laughs> Gene would say, I can't wait till Tuesday night to get to my home group. Same old stories, same old literature, same old, same old. But it grows on you. And I like to think if I hadn't had same old, same old, same old, I never would have learned the multiplication tables. They just kept telling me till I till I learned them, and that's the same way here. It takes repetition. Uh, I was grew up during a depression. We didn't have too much. We had enough, and uh, I had to carry my my lunch to school. And uh, boy, I was ashamed of that. I was always ashamed of my lot in life. I always wanted something different. I didn't want to be what I was for some reason. The kids I knew had better everything, better bicycles, 
I felt inferior. I didn't feel like I was as good as as a lot of people. It was a I don't know how to describe it as an empty feeling, I guess. And then I found out that booze was an equalizer. And uh, a bottle of beer when you're 14 years old is a real good equalizer. Makes you a big, big man. That progressed along till I went to work when I was 18. I left home. The war was then war too. The big one. You all know what the big one was? It wasn't the Civil War. <laughs> war too. Uh, and I went in the service and I was drinking on every opportunity. I wasn't a daily drinker, but I was learning and I think I became alcoholic around about 18, 19, maybe 20 years old because I was using alcohol for a crutch. It made the good times better and the bad times better. It made everything better. It was a tool for, recre- a recreational tool, I guess. I hear people say they take recreational drugs. Well, I took recreational alcohol. <laughs> and, and it worked for many years. I was thinking not long ago, I was thinking yesterday, when I come over here, yesterday, Thursday, I came through, I'm coming on I-64, not far from Ronsford, West Virginia, and I was 12 step there in 1946. And I'd have 50 years sobriety if I'd have listened, but who in the hell wants to quit drinking? When they're that young, I had a whole lot of drinking to do. And, uh, the stories the man told me, well, they sound like fun. Boy, I tell you, it was just wasn't much point in it. I, uh, Went in the service, stayed three years, drove airplanes for Uncle Sam, went to England, and uh, I flew most every kind of way. Drunk, half drunk, sober, hungover, you name it. Not on a regular basis, but it did happen, and I'm not proud of it. That poor gal, uh, what was her name? Lynn out there, the B-52 gal. I kind of feel sorry for her because I'd done worse than that and, and I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> and yet she got let out on a general discharge. But she didn't drink. She, she wouldn't have got caught if she drank a little bit. Because <laughs> us, uh, us drunks know how to get by with a lot of stuff till we finally do get caught. And that's something I'd like to tell you right now. I never did. And this is all it could happen. It's not too late. I'm still walking around. But I never got a DUI. I never got to go to jail. None of those things. I've been close. But I identify with chapter 315 in the big book that tells about the stories in the, the later stories in the back of the big book. I believe it's 1215 of them. And it says that the people that wrote those stories didn't go all the way down to the bad news stuff. The asylums and the wet brains and all that type of thing. Said they saw the bottom coming and 
got out in time. And that was my case. I saw what was happening. Uh, as Jean says, my wife had a problem. She and I drank together. She was much worse than me. <laughs> and uh, she and here, I say that. See, but she's sober now, anyway. And uh, she went into to. Uh, well, I, I won't go into all the details of what I drank. And you, you know I wouldn't be here unless I had to, because I never did come to AA voluntarily. I don't think any of us did just walk, look in the paper one day and say, that sounds like good meat, and I think I'll go. <laughs> and people tell me that they came in here on their own, or they went to treatment on their own. I said, the hell you did. John Barlicon put you in there just like me. I wouldn't have come on my own. She went, I went to Al-Anon, and Jim told it almost right. We left in the middle of the meeting because I knew I was in the wrong place. I had a spiritual experience, if there ever was one, that I belonged in the, down with the, with the drinking people. And uh, I've never had a slip been great. It wasn't easy at first, and it's not easy now in a way. Uh, I see times when I think, well, maybe, you know, I'd have, have a good time. No, I wouldn't have a good time. All I got to do is think a little harder. Whenever I get that stinking thinking, I ain't thinking hard enough of what it could be. Because I see too many of them around, and I believe what I see. And I've heard people talk, and I believe what people tell me. When I hear somebody get up and share their story of what they went through, I don't want it. Don't have to. But I had a good experience. I was fortunate in being transferred around by the company a few places and got to go to to different kinds of AA, different places, different states, and a lot of conventions, and all of that has helped kept me has kept me going, seeing something I could identify with. Uh, in 1980, I had to leave Huntington, the company. I think I think they were trying to get me to quit. I was, a transfer. I was getting along about that age, and they transferred me to, to Cincinnati. I lived in Florence, Kentucky. And I had four years of wonderful experiences down there. Going to AA all up in Indiana and various places, and I traveled around a lot in Illinois and Ohio. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Old uh, friend of mine down there is dead now. He and I, he was retired, and he could go anywhere, anytime. And that was a wonderful experience. We used to go to, uh, he, he, he had gone through treatment in Batesville, Indiana. <clears throat> and he had contacts there, which was 50 miles from where we lived. And we went every week 
take a meeting in a treatment center. And we couldn't get anybody to go with us. And we had a meeting every other Tuesday, I believe it was. He'd speak one Tuesday and I'd speak the next. And they were always changing people in there. You know, you get a new bunch every 28 days. And they never did. We never did see the same bunch. And we carried the thing for six months like that, just two of them. He'd speak one week, me the next. They didn't know the difference except the help would leave because they'd heard it. <laughs> they had had it with us. Those things helped me. The biggest thing I got from all this that holds me as good stead today is God of my understanding. That, to me, has helped me more than anything in this program except maybe that I don't drink. When I came here, I had long since had anything to do with anything spiritual. And I went to church twice every Sunday, once to take your family, and the other time go get them. <laughs> didn't, didn't quit going to church. But I didn't believe, the only time I thought anything spiritual was in a crisis. I had a, a God that was there, and I was one lost, he wasn't lost. So, I learned after a while, I could see little things happening that told me that a power greater than me was there somewhere. Because even before I found the promises, boy, I got that far. My, my sponsor didn't allow promise reading until you got to the ninth step. He told me hey, it'd be time enough. But I learned that something was doing for me that I couldn't do myself, like not wanting to drink. And that was an odd phenomenon for me, because I just didn't want to drink. From the get-go, it left me. But I think I had a desire, honest desire, to stop. I had wanted to stop for years. I could tell my health was deteriorating and all these things were making me unhappy. Uh, our marriage wasn't, wasn't worth a damn. We couldn't get along. We just fought one day at a time. <laughs> all, everywhere. And it wasn't any problem to do that. But, uh, I, after I saw, well, a lot of you know Mars, sponsored some of you, dead now. Mars was at my first meeting, and I had known the man for many years, had worked with him on the railroad, and I saw what had happened to him, because he was a puking, stinking, argumentative, falling down drunk if there ever was one. If he were here, he'd laugh and say, yeah, that's right. So I'm not telling any tales of the school. And that impressed me. He'd been sober seven years. And I thought, well, if there's anything can get to him, it's bound to be something to it. And I remember asking him, who you had to see to join this thing. 
<laughs> nobody just walk on in. You say you remember you are. And he told me the third tradition. And you know, people fuss about the traditions, but most of us, the first thing we hear around here is a, is a tradition. At least I did. The only requirements of membership is a desire to stop drinking. He didn't tell me the first step till some time later. He, he read those to me, and I took them all that night. <laughs> I, I saw they were working on him, so I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Little did I know. One night I came out of a, Sunday night I came out of a meeting at his apartment up here. And I turned the corner, and a thought hit me. I see I hit the steering wheel. I said, thank God I'm free. It was an inspirational message if I ever had one. And I knew I was free of alcohol then. I don't know how long I'd been around. Maybe it was less than a year. But I knew that alcohol didn't have hold of me anymore. It had been relieved. And the big book tells me that. That I had been relieved of that alcoholism. I didn't have to drink anymore as long as I followed a few simple steps. And they ain't so damn simple. We say that. And they're, they're against a drunk's nature to want to do any of those things, especially this drunk. Uh, I finally, after that experience, the third step hit me and I was off and running. I, I finally was able to make a decision. And it's been that way ever since. I, uh, try to, to, uh, do what it tells me in the big book, especially in the mornings when I get up. I ask God to take me that day and, and not to struggle. This thing is, uh, if it happened to me sort of like the book tells it, I like to think, uh, I didn't do anything much, just let God do it. I didn't fight it. I didn't work the steps right. Still probably haven't worked a lot of them right, but I think about them. I use a tenth step a lot to see if I am doing right. Try to live better. And um, I don't know whether that uh, is the main purpose of AA. They say the main purpose of AA is destruction of ego. Well, I haven't completely got rid of that yet. I was telling somebody the other night, I was talking down in Danville, Virginia, a while back. The big anniversary and had so, so many people, they couldn't get them all in there where they had the dinner. So there's a new church, we had to go in the sanctuary. <laughs> and it was a new one. Some architect had gone hog wild when he built that one. <laughs> and one of them high pulpits, you know. Man, you stand up there in the cloud. Look down on all those people. And I flat laid it on them that night. <laughs> old ego, old ego just carried on. And I was proud of that because I said everything that I had always wanted to say and couldn't get it out. And it got all through. 
And the guy that took me down there says, I hate to tell you, it reminded me of what something happened to you there was. He said, the, the tape recorder broke down. We didn't get a tape of it. That <laughs> was a revolting development. I uh, was able to to make it uh, through AA without a mishap, like I said. I tried to be active in service work. That helped me a lot. I, I got active in, down in Kentucky, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Going around to, to different places and uh, made a lot of friends down there that uh, I really learned from. These things crossed my mind. I, I'll tell you a little <coughs> I don't know whether I'm on the right track and I don't care. You keep up with it, I guess. But I had a, I'm a cancer survivor and, uh, I was operated on for colon, for colon cancer in 1991. And I remembered something I learned down in Kentucky. You know, every once in a while in a meeting, the subject of medicine and drugs and whether we ought to take them, whether you're not. Everybody, you know, is a doctor in here once or twice. <laughs> and have to give a little medical advice. I've heard it. You've heard it. Old Sam down there had had many operations. And he talked one night <laughs> and gave me a philosophy that has stuck with me. I'll pass it on for what it's worth. I had, by the time I heard him do this, had belief and some faith that God would take care of me and that I wanted his will for me. The thing that he said was that he tried to, he prayed when he picked a doctor that he would get the right doctor. He prayed every aspect of that that the doctor would do his job right. And whatever the doctor told him to take, he would take it. And he had taken some powerful stuff, morphine and what have you, and nothing bad had ever happened to him. He recovered from his illness. He didn't get addicted to anything. He didn't go back to drinking. That made sense to me. God's will for me and the power to carry it out. So my surgeon told me he knew I was alcoholic. He should have. He'd known me most of my life. That he was didn't want me to remember and he didn't want me to hurt. And I never questioned. And that's the way it was. I didn't hurt. And I remember very little of it. And I was, he put me on, Demerol on demand. And morphine never got bad. That should scare a damn alcoholic plumb to death when they tell him he's going to put him on morphine. And there was a time I would have, but it didn't scare me that time. Because I knew God was going to take care of me. 
And I know that right today. Whatever comes down, he's there to help me. That I believe. I don't think he wants me to drink. In fact, I know it doesn't. God's will for me is not for me not to drink. And I wouldn't drink if he came to me in a dream and said, you, it's okay to drink now. I don't think I would. I have too good a time not drinking. I uh, retired in 1984 and moved back to my hometown in uh, Lynchburg. I was born and raised. And uh, I've been there happy down there. I have family there. My daughters live uh, a reasonable distance. I didn't get in the same town they were in. But I'd be damn if I was going to retire and be a babysitter. <laughs> it's better things for me to do than that. I see them occasionally. Uh, my wife's been sober without a drink for 11 years which is good uh, I've gotten to going back to church the church I grew up in and didn't learn a damn thing but it did help me I think to know a little bit about what's what's happening in the, in the spiritual world I see people that I grew up with I've Belong to a, a couple of old timers groups that play music, and it's great. Uh, the music gives me something to do in between times. Although I I have a shop and work my yard and so forth, but I couldn't do all these things if I was still drinking. I have a next door neighbor my age. That is a constant reminder to me. I don't even have to go to a meeting. I got him right next door alive one, and that's the best meeting you can go to. He's my age. And his daughter tells me that she doesn't need an alarm clock. That the refrigerator door opening up and the top uh, popping on a can at 6 o'clock in the morning wakes her up. And he's been doing that for 50 years. And his father before him. And he tells me there ain't a damn thing wrong with him. And he was shot down in Italy and was a prisoner of war and he's got that. Telling me that. And I feel so sorry for him, there's nothing I can do. But it helps me, because I used to think, boy, when I can retire, I'll do as I damn please. I'll drink when I want to. I'll go where I want, I won't have to sneak around and take a drink. I just won't have to do anything but what I want to. Not so. If I want to lead a good life. I have to try to help other people. Go around, we, we go around to a lot of nursing homes. And take entertainment to people and that's gratifying. It must 12 step, step work to do because the treatment centers get them all before we get to them. Although I think that's changing a little bit. I think that's, that's probably changing. Uh, last April 26th, wife and I celebrated our 50th anniversary. 
And I never thought I'd see that day. So many things. I'm so grateful. Gratitude's a big part of my spirituality. That helps for me to be grateful for everything I have, whatever it is. We were talking about old Jim Williams this morning. Some of you probably heard his tapes, maybe heard him speak. I remember he said that his sponsor told him to pray every night and thank God for the day. And he said, well, suppose I had a miserable day. He said, well, thank him anyway. Thank him that you had any day at all. And that's where I look at it. At, at my age, when I wake up in the morning, <clears throat> I'm glad that I can see. I'm going blind anyway. If I can see it all, that's great. I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know why. When I come to Huntington, I get a different feeling about AA. I guess it's because I got sober here. And the people, I know so many people I've known all the way from the word, from the first, like Gene, have been an inspiration to me. The uh, long-timers, the old-timers, whatever you want to call them, have all imparted something to me. I get a glow on every time I see Henry back there. Henry helped me a lot a long time ago. He told me something I told him the other day, and I thanked him for it again. That my wife wasn't doing too well, staying soap, and it was wearing me. He asked me if her periods of sobriety were longer after she came around AA. And they were before. I said, yeah. He said, well, AA is working. He said, it's not working 100%, but it is working. I never had thought of that. I always thought that when you came here, you got sober and you stayed that way. But some people can't do it. I was one of the fortunate ones. Things I've learned here helped me in my everyday life. That like I told you, my drinking problem has been removed. That's not to say that I couldn't drink again, but I don't expect to, because I have faith. I had hope it'd be that way, but my hope has turned to faith that I God won't let me get in a situation that I'll drink. I hear people say all the time that they have a choice when they get up in the morning on whether to drink or not. I don't have a choice when I get up in the morning. I gave that up when I surrendered. I didn't, I lost that choice when I turned, became an alcoholic. I had to drink. And I didn't get that choice back just because I came into this fellowship and learned all the things that we're taught here. If I had a choice when I get up in the morning, my God, I'd drink. Yes, sir. But that's been removed from me. Don't need that choice. Like a guy said in the meeting one night, you know, I lived down there close to Appomattox by the Civil War or the war between the states, excuse me. 
I'm politically correct. <laughs> and this guy said, you know, he said, when the war's over, the fighting stops. Says when General Lee surrendered to General Grant, the war was over. And that's the same way with me here. When I quit fighting alcohol and surrendered, the war was over. Alcohol isn't a part of my life anymore, and I want it that way. I was coming up the road Thursday, and see, AA is threads all the way through everything I do. It may not look like it, Jerry, but it does. (laughs) And I had a resentment that I've been carrying for 20 years, I guess, against a man who is now a preacher. He was a when I knew him first, he was a SOB by birth, breathing, and inclination. <laughs> and I had no no room in my mind for him. But think of him every now and then. Every time I'd go through Lewisburg, he lives there. And my higher power told me coming up in the state to call that gentleman. He's a gentleman now. Since AA. And I called him. And I'm sure he didn't know, and this is always the case, he didn't know that I hated his guts or resented him. I'm sure he didn't. And I didn't think I should tell him. But we had a nice talk and caught up on a lot of things to date. And uh, he's moved, he was telling me he's moving to Huntington. He's going to retire as a minister and move to Huntington. He had lived here once before. Things like that happened in my life that relieved me. I can't stand to be uncomfortable anymore with uh, harboring resentments and uh, not doing the right thing. If I uh, if if I don't uh, get rid of that. I'm not afraid I'm drink. I just won't live too good. And that's the name of the game to me, for the reason for me being here, is to learn new ways to live. And it's, I can still learn, though. People don't understand sometimes the way we do live. They don't understand why we have to go to meetings. And... I don't go to meetings to stay sober, particularly. But I do go to hear things that make my life easier. And uh, and the fellowship. If somebody said well, not long ago, they wish you'd invent a pill that you could take to cure you of your alcoholism. Well, that wouldn't be any good. Well, no fellowship. That's 90% of it's the fellowship seeing each other. It could be bonded together in this fellowship. There's so many, uh, many benefits from that. Like this convention. Get together and we don't do much, drink a little coffee and have a big time. And that's fun. But it's not, uh, something that is expensive. 
in this day of ripping and roaring and the way we're living, it's a, it's a pleasure to come, even on Saturday morning, and it's raining, and sitting here where it's quiet and listen to me. I don't see how he's standing. But keep coming. <laughs> I could talk all day about the benefits of AA, but uh, I've reached a, a point in my sobriety I never thought it would be, where AA is a way of life. And like I say, it, 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 it's in everything I do. I trust God. And I don't have but two goals in life. I want to die sober with my own teeth. <laughs> and uh, I think I can attain that. Uh, like I say, I don't uh, don't know much. I remember back to Jim Williams again. I remember he first thing I ever heard him say was that you got to not know to ever know. I didn't understand that. And I still don't know, but uh, I know more than I did when the first time I heard that. And that's not to take a drink. Drinking is not a part of my life, I'll tell you that again. And as old Marsh used to say, and you've all heard him, if you knew him, you heard him say it. If you don't take a drink, you won't get drunk. If you don't get drunk, you won't get in trouble. And that's a fact. It's uh, been a long time since I had one. But I have to keep coming around and seeing these people that are telling me how it is today. And I don't see it's a hell of a lot different, except most of them are into drugs, too. He, I don't know... Knowing thing about that because I believe too that this is a singleness of purpose society that we're in and I want to keep it that way. I like to stay within our traditions and what's in the big book. Everybody's always trying to change everything, you know, and uh, make it look good. Not like it is. Reality has gone out the damn window in a lot of places. Most of you know Lynchburg, where I live, is a home of Jerry Falwell. And uh, Jerry has a, makes a lot of sense in a lot of things, and most people like him and all dislike him. Not much in between, but he has one thing I really like. On the entrance to Liberty University, there's a big sign, a long sign, letters this tall. Gold-edged letter says, this university is not politically correct. And I think that's the way I like AA. AA is not politically correct. We try to live, if we're doing it right, in the reality of it. That I am an alcoholic. And there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't give a damn who knows it. My name's Garland Smith. I don't give a damn who knows that because I didn't drink anonymously. And I don't care who knows I'm sober. And I live that way day to day. Uh, I try to 
let key people know like preachers and Sunday school teachers and all those people that I am acquainted with alcohol. And if they know anybody that needs to become unacquainted with it, let me know. And I get a lot of business that way. Because preachers don't want to fool with drunks. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. They, uh, they, they, they leave that to us. The smart ones do. But, uh, I told a fellow, a Sunday school teacher, that I was an alcoholic. And I thought he was going to faint. He says, you here? In this church? I said, it's for sinners, ain't it? <laughs> and, uh, I'm just trying to get better, that's all. I'm still not as sick as I was. I, uh, one little thing, old Jack Sullivan, good friend of mine, Dan Lowe, I like to close a little thing Jack used to say. Maybe you've heard him. So one time there was a fella going down the road. I give credit for a store two times, and the third time it's mine. <laughs> but I don't think Jack would mind. There's a fella going down the road one night, and he ran up on a snake. And a snake asked him to pick him up, put him on his coat, said he was cold. And he said, no, uh I'm not going to pick you up. He says, you'll bite me. Snake says, no, I won't. He says, I'm cold. I just want to get warm. Just put me under your jacket. So he finally did, picked the snake up, put him under his jacket, and he bit him. And he dropped him and started cursing him. And the snake said, don't curse me. He said, you knew where I was when you picked me up. That's the way it is with the booze. But that reminded me of another little old story I heard the other day. An old friend of mine's a storyteller down home. Looked like his cat here. And uh, he said, you'll like us. A zoo got a new kangaroo. And the first night he was there, he escaped. They found him the next morning. He was over there in the elephant pen trying to get him to join Weight Watchers. So every night that that kangaroo would escape and he'd be over there somewhere messing where he shouldn't. And every time he'd get out the next day they'd put two more feet on the fence. They'd raise the fence. So he's talking to the giraffe there one morning and giraffe said, That got that fence so high I said I can't even see over it, said how long you reckon they'll keep on doing that? He says, as soon as they find out that they leave the gate unlocked. <laughs> 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 With that, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you. I'll thank you, committee. I'll, I'll get over that. And, and uh, God bless all of you. of hope. You will. That's what it is. Uh, 
You know, I heard a speaker once, and it just reminded me, that said, no one in this room ever has to drink again. And I, I want to tell you, give you all that information, that good information. When I got here, I had to drink. I don't ever have to drink again. Uh, are there any announcements? I didn't ask that before the... None? No, no announcements, Jerry? I just have the drawing, just where we close. Okay. Did you have, uh, you want to give Garland a present, or you just, you have he right just, there. Well, okay, well, you didn't tell me that, see, you didn't tell me that. Garland, here, he was telling me everything else, he didn't tell me that. Uh, we would like you to have this expression of our appreciation, I think I said that correctly. When is that a quarter? Looks like a big one, looks like a whole sport to me. Thank you, thank you. See what it is. I think that'd be a good idea. I'll come. Okay. Yeah, yeah, put it on my forehead. If it's socks, you have that. <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. Pilgrim flag. While Garland's opening that, I will tell you because I've, there's a, there are tapes for sale, uh, $4 each or an album for 25 Is that correct? Okay, and you see who to give the information to. Up front at the desk. You, take, you can uh, order them there. You need to order the... Albums before the season. You know it's the season. You don't know what an album is. Okay. That's 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 uh. So I have to show me how to work. Wait a minute. There's destructions on the back. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like this, like this. When all else fails. I'm not going to read the the uh, disclaimer about anybody. I don't see anybody from the press here taking my picture or recording Garland's message. So, ah. Oh. Hidden cameras. <laughs> so we'll, we'll not do that. Well, as soon as Garland gets his package back, we will have the Lord's Prayer, and then Jerry will there'll be the drawing for the sauce. Let's go up front. Where it is. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.